and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. Uh, we are continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and we come to a real uh, turning point here. We, we've talked a lot about the blessed life, though we'll still continue that, because the whole Sermon on the Mount is really about the blessed life in the kingdom of God. Um, but this is a real transition point where Jesus introduces his kingdom ethics, if, if you will. And so we want to read Matthew 5, verse 17 to 20, page 852 of your pew Bibles. And with that, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. Matthew writes, quoting the words of our Savior under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask, as always, that you would open our entire being, our hearts, our minds, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, and our feet, that we would go in obedience to Christ, transformed by the gospel. Lord, this is the work of Jesus. So we are praying for the ordinary works of the Holy Spirit, that you would move us towards repentance, move us towards obedience, move us to be the people of God. And may I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Be seated. I'm sure you've come across these at some point in your life. Uh, um, and I remember in the early days of email, uh, many of the emails you would get would be uh, those chain emails often that were like joke emails, right? That you just pass from one person to another. I know state workers, you did this because you didn't have anything else to do. Um, but one I remember was these are real laws you will find uh, on the books. For example, in the state of Indiana, according to the state law, the value of pi is three. Some of you all didn't get that. All right, you're clearly public school uh, uh, graduates, aren't you? Pi, which is a, uh, a geometric measurement, is not three. It's 3.14 and a bunch of other numbers. In fact, there is no end to those numbers. At least we've not found the end. But they, by law, are made of three. So that explains why the people you meet from Indiana are... Off a little bit. Isn't that right, Danny? Right, right. Anyways, uh, in Indiana, baths are not to be taken between the months of October and March. That explains a whole lot. In the state of Tennessee, it is legal to gather and consume roadkill. That explains so much about our neighbors to the south. Here are some from the state of Kentucky. Throwing eggs at a public speaker could result in up to one year in prison. Now, I'm not worried about eggs because they're so expensive, but prior to the recent inflation, that was a good law. I approve of that. It is illegal in the state of Kentucky to fish with a bow and arrow. Right? That one, that one needs to stay on the books, right? Uh, I, I still remember um, when I was a youth pastor, I had a student who, who got baptized. And as a youth pastor, I always got them gifts. And, and usually it was a Bible or something, a note from me. And he says, preacher, I got a Bible. You know what I want? A cane pole, right? And he got a cane pole with a letter attached to it. In Owensboro, it is illegal for a woman to, uh, to... A woman cannot buy a hat without her husband's permission. 
not against these. I am not against that one at all, right? Can we make it more than just a hat? Like decorative pillows, I would add to that list. Decorative towels, I would add to that list. Decorative dishes, I would add to that list. Decorative anything, I would add to that list. What's the point? Finally, no, no, I got two more. Every citizen in the state of Kentucky is required to take a shower once a year. Some of you all are breaking the law. Finally, it is illegal to marry the same man in the state of Kentucky more than three times. I, I think that's actually quite wise. That is law. You, some of you have cousins who are breaking that law probably right now. Well, we all know that every law exists Regardless of where it is to be found in the history of humanity in the world, it exists because humanity cannot be trusted. You have to put a sign up that says, don't go over 55 miles an hour because some Yahoo is going about Mach 90 miles an hour. And so you have to put a law of explaining regulations to, to help guide humanity, to keep them from cheating or destroying or whatever it might be. Laws reveal something about us. We are inherently flawed. We are by nature sinners. More than that, laws are insufficient to prove that we are good. Think about it. There are a lot of people who are not currently breaking the law, but you would never have them babysit your children or grandchildren. The law may tell us there is something wrong with us, but it is inadequate in actually transforming the root problem that is within us. Now, if civic laws are insufficient for making us good people, the same, Jesus argues here, is true when it comes to, to, to religious laws, spiritual laws, traditional laws. Notice where Jesus begins here in verses 17 to 19 with the place of Scripture. Notice he starts there in verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the question is, who does Jesus have in mind here? Who, who is he really? What, what is his audience? I think there's two categories here. One is obvious. Another, I think, is often overlooked. The first is he is speaking to legalists. They, legalists are those who define their faith, their religion, by rule-keeping. Do this, don't do that. If you want to be happy, if you want to be obedient, if you want God to love you, here's the list of rules. And if you keep these lists of rules, God will love you. God will favor you. God will bless you. But if you break any of these, you're a shameful, terrible, guilty person and good luck for the rest of your life. This, this rule approach to religion is very common. In fact, I would say that is religion in general. That you have to look a certain way, talk a certain way, act a look away, think a certain way in order to be found favorable in God's sight. So when Jesus comes and he speaks of abolishing the law, they hear a red flag. The religious elites of Jesus' day were defined by their legalism. And so Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, are frequently targeting them for criticism. You say this, but the truth is that. You are hypocritical in this particular area. At one point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will call them whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, nothing but deadness. Let me just warn you that legalism, regardless of how it shows up, will always end in one of two places. Whether this is traditional Christian legalism, whether this is secular legalism. It will always end in one of two places. Pride or despair. Have you ever met a prideful religious person? 
Yeah, you, you've sat next to them in the pew or they've sat next to someone in the pew, right? It might be you, I don't know. This sort of person who, who, who sees the religious duties as a badge of honor. Boy, I, I, I'm so faithful to church, I never miss a service. Aren't you so glad to have me as your neighbor? I read my Bible. I pray regularly. I'm a good person. I don't do X, Y, or Z. Aren't I a good person? Aren't I the ideal Christian? I bet everybody wants to be like me. Boy, I tell you, where would God be if, if it weren't for holy people like me? Pride. There's a secular version of that where I pass along the hashtags. I put the right thing on my Instagram account. I am against whatever the thing that I've been told on the media and, and, and the universities what I am I'm supposed to be against. This, this type of legalism feeds pride. I'm a good person. The rest of y'all ain't as good as me. Or it will lead to despair. Because it is those who realize they can't measure up to the system. And here's the reality. Chances are we are missing people right now in this congregation who would otherwise be here but bought into a false gospel of religion that led them down a path of despair. I'll never measure up. I'll never break this habit. I'll never be clean. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be worthy to walk into a church building. God will never hear my prayers. I feel like a hypocrite every time I open up God's word. I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. And all they see is the despair of religion. So Jesus comes and he is speaking to them in this audience. I didn't come to abolish the law, nor have I come to say that the law is the gospel. And the law is the kingdom and the law is the means by which you enter into the kingdom. But rather I came to fulfill it so that you can be given something far better. There's another audience I think he has in mind here. And those are what we could call libertarians. Legalists on the one hand, libertarians on the other. These are those who come to Jesus and say, you know what? Well, what I don't need is, is a bunch of rules because God just loves me and God is just one big teddy bear and he'll never do anything wrong and he'll never be disappointed with me. And so, so I can just keep sitting and I can keep doing whatever I want because God is just so nice. God is so cool. And so what they hear Jesus saying is, is I didn't come to abolish. Like, oh, we love the idea of abolishing the law. We don't need no rule keeping anymore. I can do whatever I want, right? Because you err on the side of God's love at the cost of God's holiness and justice. Whereas the legalist will err on the side of God's justice and holiness at the cost of his love. And Jesus calls them out and he points out that, that, that this ends up in the same area. Pride and despair. Our nation is run by those who are arrogant about their disobedience. They're arrogant about their immorality. Aren't I such a good person by how bad I really am? I don't believe in rules. I am so tolerant. I think that if you believe in rules, you should, you, you should be canceled. Your life ruined. I possibly go to prison, you bigot. Aren't I so tolerant? But it will also lead to despair. For where there is unrepented sin, there is disaster waiting for you. So Jesus sets this record straight. He will not abolish the law, though the libertarians would want him to. But he will fulfill it, though he will not be ruled by it, despite what the legalists want. In fact, notice what Jesus says in verse 18, that scripture is binding and applicable to us all. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Now, notice the words he says here. Iota is a Greek letter for our English I, okay? And so, so it's just a little line, and it's a very small little letter, much like our little I is, though the iota doesn't have a dot. This word for dot in, in, in the ESV, 
be, your, your translation may say stroke or, or tittle, you may see. Um, it, it describes a small mark in, in Hebrew. Let me give you a comparison. It's like the difference between an F and an E, capital F, capital E, is that little mark at the bottom of the E, that's the distinction. That's what he is describing here, this dot or tittle or, or mark, right? That, that not even that little mark, not that, that little, little uh, um, uh, way to help you pronounce Hebrew words that will not pass away until, until uh, the kingdom is fulfilled. What an incredible statement of the sufficiency of Scripture. Every bit of it is not up for debate. Every bit of it is true. Every bit of it is binding. And Christ fulfills, verse 17, every last line of it. This statement of the sufficiency of Scripture is significant. I'm reminded of the parable Jesus told from Luke chapter 16, the, the parable, or not the prodigal son, rather, Luke 16, where he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You remember that when the rich man is, is down in, 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 in Hades, he, he, he begs Jesus, send me back so that uh, people will believe that this place is real. You remember what Jesus says? They've got the law and the prophets. They've got the Bible. He says, no, 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 no. They'll believe if a dead man rises. And Jesus says, no, they won't. They have the Bible that's sufficient. Besides, if you keep reading Luke, a dead man does come back to life and many still didn't believe. His name is Jesus. The sufficiency of Scripture. And since Scripture is sufficient, since it is binding, we must obey all of it perfectly. Notice verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's it. That's the rule. Keep every line of the Bible. You'll be fine. All right, let's close our Bibles. Go home. You know there's an immediate problem there, isn't it? You know, have you ever realized that government is so massive there are so many regulations at the local, state, and federal level. There's a good chance every single person here right now is violating some law, regulation, ordinance. You ever thought about that? Your car is not up to speed. Your house is not up to regulations. This church is not up to all the laws. You can't keep them all, nor can you know them all. I mean, if you want to be a good lawyer... You got to go to school for years and years, and if you want to really make it, you got to you got to study. You got to work for years, crazy hours. In fact, if you want to be a good lawyer, be good if you chose a certain area of law to study, because there's so much law to study. And even then, there may be laws and regulations that you may be violating. You don't even realize you can't keep it all. It's overwhelming, isn't it? So if our faith is bound by keeping everything perfectly, you and I are hopeless. And that's the point. That's the point. You see, the legalist comes and arrogantly says, I can keep the law. I'm such a good person. The libertarian comes and says, well, I don't need to keep any law, not even a law to love, because the only thing that matters is how I feel about everything. The only thing I'll follow is my intuition and desires. No, 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 there's, there's a better way. There's a better way to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not by rules, but it's by the word of God that comes in the person of Christ. So then what is the secret to godliness? What is the secret to the blessed life in the kingdom of God? We saw the place of scripture. Verse 20 tells us the purpose of scripture. Look, at the end of the day, the biblical law tells us two things. God is holy, we ain't. That's a theological term, ain't. God is holy, we ain't. That's it. 
The legalist comes and adds to that. They say, yeah, God is holy. Yeah, I get that. But here's the thing. Divine favor leads or is or the uh, obedience leads to divine favor. But if favor is tied to perfection, then what hope do we have? You and I can't keep all the rules. You and I don't even know half the rules in the Bible, do we? How do we keep all this? Let me give you a trick that religious people love to do this. And, and I, I know I'm not describing you, just the person next to you. But, but, but here's a little trick. What religious people do, again, whether they are traditional religious and traditional religion or they are secularly religious, okay, is they will weigh some laws above others and they will weigh them in their own favor. For example, I don't, have, I don't struggle with alcohol abuse, okay? That's not something I struggle with. That is the brag, but I, I know if I go down that route, there is a family history that, that concerns me. So I've just not started that. So what I am tempted to do is say, well, look, if, if you have a sip of alcohol, you're a terrible human being. You're going to die and burn in hell. Well, that's easy for me to say because that ain't my, my deal. But I've had issues with, say, things like anger in the past. Well, you know, Jesus got angry. Ah, slam dunk, you pagan. See how easy that was? What I've done is I've justified my disobedience while bragging about my obedience. I've weighed one above the other. However, if you are angry towards me, I won't justify your anger because I've weighed your sin above mine. You see how easy that is? Read the Gospels. Jesus gets on them all the time for this. You've weighed the washing of the hands above love. You've weighed this and that above just being a good person in general. This is what the religious people do. Go out into to, to, to our culture. They will weigh virtue signaling above other things that seem to be more important to us. Why? Because it's easier to pass along a hashtag. It's easier to say you support this or that that's cool all of a sudden, even though it doesn't make any sense. It's easier to do that. And I get the benefit of my own self-righteousness. That's what the legalists do. But here Jesus says, look, if you keep one and you're bound by perfection, you've got to keep all of it. And to break at any point along the line is to break all of it. But in Jesus' time, legalism ruled the day. There was a saying uh, at the time in Judaism that if only two people went to heaven, one would be a scribe, the other a Pharisee. And yet what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that you and I must be better than them. Let me give you just how holy they were. Let's look at Sabbath laws since they come up all the time in the Gospels. The Pharisees spent much of their time defining what the Bible means by work. Don't work on the Sabbath. Well, what does work mean? I can tell you what it meant when I was growing up. Don't mow the yard. I've shared this with you before. Like we, we, we can go and have basketball practice on a Sunday afternoon, but don't mow the yard. Right? That was the rule. That's how it was defined. Don't, roll, don't mow the yard. And we were never a landscaping or gardening family, so we didn't have to worry about any of that. Just don't mow the yard, right? We, we got in so much trouble one time. Mom and dad made us violate God's law by mowing the yard, and the lawnmower broke down so much my father couldn't fix it. He's like a professional mechanic. He probably broke some other laws trying to fix the thing. But the whole point, they were so mad, right? 
And then that's when we learn our lesson. The problem is we try to mow the yard on Sunday. We did that on Monday. What I broke down dims the facts, y'all. Okay? The Pharisees, what they did is they spent all their time trying to figure out the meanings of the word work and the meaning of the word burden. Can I give you how they, how they landed on this? I'm stealing this from MacArthur, so you can find it with him. A burden is, a, is food equal to the weight of a dried fig. Enough wine for mixing in a goblet, milk enough for one swallow, honey enough to put on a wound, oil enough to anoint a small member, water enough to moisten an eye salve, paper enough to write a customs house notice, ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet, a reed enough to make a pen. Anything above that was a burden and thus you were working. They debated whether, quote, a man could lift a lamp from one place to another on the Sabbath. They spent their time arguing whether a tailor committed a sin on the Sabbath if he carried a needle stuck in his robe. They debated if a woman could wear a wig that was too heavy. Could a man wear false teeth or an artificial limb because they might carry too much weight? They even debated if a man could lift his child on the Sabbath. Now, it's easy to make fun of such nonsense, as we should. But if we're honest, most Americans care more about their tribal identities that reflect such similar legalism than we do spiritual awakening. We often define the, uh, the gospel and what a true church looks like and what a true Christian is by political categories, economic beliefs, traditions that, that we were raised in or, or our upbringing. We shout the loudest over music in the church or fashion choices in worship or an annual church calendar. Preacher, for years we've done this. Why aren't we doing it next year? We'll spend so much time over this. Look, I grew up in the fire and brimstone culture. My home pastor was in fire and brimstone, but certainly I grew up in that sort of culture. And the idea was preachers ought to just tell them the way it is, right? You've heard this, right? And I've served under that sort of, and there's nothing wrong with that to a certain extent. But one thing I found was fire and brimstone preaching always attacked the people who weren't in the church rather than to address the sins that were clearly apparent in it. It's easy to attack them. It's a lot more difficult to be honest with our own selves, isn't it? I could show you passages where a vice list is given and the average American evangelical will point out that sexual sin, that particular issue, that all the while overlooking all the other lists there because it's too pointed towards themselves. I've done this throughout the history of, of, of my ministry. Why? We are just as guilty of them. We'll shout down the homosexual, but say nothing of the wreck we are making of our marriages as Christians. We'll scream about politicians, but say nothing about our own anger or greed. Legalism only addresses the outward. It never addresses the inward. And this is the point Jesus is getting at. You can follow all the rules, but unless you have been transformed inwardly, it is meaningless. You can play the part. Jesus will use the language in what follows as an actor, as someone who wears a mask up on stage. You can play that part. But if you have to have an inner transformation, it doesn't matter. Look, right now, we, we've said a lot this morning and in recent weeks about uh, the potential revival we trust the Lord is bringing to our nation and to, to hopefully to our state and our city. We are praying for that. But the true sign of a revival is not we get people who look like Christians. We get people who are Christians. People who have a spiritual waking, many of whom are sitting in pews like ours this morning. We need Christians 
nominal Christians to get converted. We need sleepy Christians to wake up. We need the gospel to transform lives. That's the beauty of the gospel. What good is our church attendance right now if in a mere minutes we go to the restaurant to yell at the waitress? What good is our presence here? What good are our daily devotions if we continue to objectify women, if we continue to cheat on our taxes, if we are easily angered, if we continue to gossip about others? What good is it really? You know what we need? Not more rules. We need a redeemer. We need Christ. What Jesus will do for the next six passages is he will show us what this righteousness looks like. He'll address anger starting in verse 21, lust starting in verse 27, divorce starting in verse 31, oaths starting in verse 33, and retaliation, revenge in verse 38, climaxing regarding what true love looks like in verse 43. And then going into chapter six, he's going to explore issues of, of, of prayer, issues of generosity, so on and so forth. And it begins right here. Do you want to follow rules? Or do you want to follow a redeemer? Do you care about law? Or do you care about grace? Do you want to be rebellious? Or do you want to be righteous? Well, when it comes to the Old Testament law, it's easy to get confused with all the ins and outs of it. Can I just break them down into three categories? This is, this is classical interpretation of the Jewish law, three categories of law. And I want to show you that Jesus didn't abolish them. He fulfilled them. The first category is that of the moral law. These are laws that tell you what to do and how to live and how to act and all that. And although we can look at those, we realize at the moral law that we don't meet that standard. What we have in our Savior is one who did. Perfect without sin. Yet, despite his perfection, he dies upon a cross for our sins in our place so that when God looks at him, he sees us as we really are. So that when he sees us, he sees Christ as he really is. He didn't come to abolish the moral law, but to fulfill it. Then there is the civil law that governs the community of what, what the society should look like. Here you, 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 have the, you have what are criminal and what is the punishment for those crimes. And again, Jesus didn't abolish those. He fulfilled them in, in, in the sense that he comes both as judge and the one being judged. There he fulfills it perfectly, though we fall short. And he stands upon the cross, suffering the judgment we deserve and liberating us so that we are free. Then there's the ceremonial law. These are laws you will find that regulate the temple and the tabernacle of worship. He fulfills them in two ways. First, he is our true and great high priest. He always makes intercession for us, even right now. He is the, uh, he is the, our access to God the Father is through the Son, who is our great high priest, our mediator. And he is the lamb. So he is both the high priest who makes the sacrifice. He is the lamb of God who is the sacrifice, thus taking away the sins of the world, especially mine and especially yours. So he didn't come to just abolish it. He didn't come to be defined by it. He came to fulfill it so that we are called simply to follow Jesus, to believe in him. 
You know, can I suggest there is really two laws we need to follow, at which point we'll follow all of them? Think about it. There are a lot of laws in this world, and I don't know what they all are, nor do I know the punishment of them. But I do know that if you just live a righteous life, you ain't got to worry about a whole lot of these laws. So too, can I give you two laws to follow, both found in Christ? Love your Savior. Love your neighbor. Love God for he has loved you with an eternal love that has no limits for it is infinite, even in your worst of moments. Love him with, a, 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 with abandonment. And as you love him, he will direct you to love your neighbor. They will fail you. They will hurt you. They will wound you. But love them no less than God has loved you. And all that other stuff will take care of it. For Christ didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it there at Calvary. I want to ask, we, we go in time of invitation. I want you to pray. And I want you to reflect on your own life. Where are you right now spiritually? As Lonnie said, for the first time in 53 years, most significant movement of God we've had in our state and in our nation. It will begin with you. We can talk all day about how those people have gone to Asbury. Those pagans, they need to go and hear the Word of God. Let me tell you who needs to hear the Word of God. It is the people of God who are faithful in the local church. Let revival start with us. So we're going to sing. We're going to stand. We're going to do all of that. Ask yourself, have you truly embraced the gospel of Jesus? Or have you bought into the extremes of legalism on the one hand or libertarianism on the other? Have you embraced the gospel? Do you live a life consistent where Jesus is one and only? Jesus is your great desire. Jesus is what drives you. Jesus is who you are. Jesus is what defines you. Is that your story? Or are you just going through the motions? Where are you? If you want to save Frankfurt, let us first save the people of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would be so kind as to convict us in this time of invitation. Lord, I ask that you would indeed convict us. Lord, we, we, we pray this every week, that you would move. And Lord, we ask that you do indeed.